How do we live the Bible story in our lives today? This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. show. I'm Alex Goodwin, joined by Paul Caminiti and Glenn Powell. We're also delighted to have Dr. Glenn Packiam on the show with us today. So we've got uh, we've got two Glenn P's with us here on air. <laughs> and uh, Glenn is the Associate Senior Pastor at New Life Church here in Colorado Springs, as well as the Lead Pastor at New Life Downtown, one of New Life's eight congregations here uh, in Colorado Springs. He's the author of several books, including Worship and the World to Come and Blessed, Broken, Given. And he recently received a doctorate in theology and ministry from Durham University in the UK. Perhaps most prestigiously, Glenn is also on the Institute for Bible Reading Board of Advisors. Glenn, thanks so, much for, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. And thank you uh, to you, you know, Glenn and Paul having me on. Always great to chat with you guys. Yeah, this, Glenn, has always kind of been our dream that our Board of Advisors would actually be participants with us. And you have been in other ways, but uh, but you're our first to really join us in in uh, in consulting and talking through our point of view. Uh, you know, with our guests, Glenn, we usually start by asking them something about their personal journey with the Bible. Mm-hmm. So you had a number of options. Uh, Alex didn't mention this, but you started out kind of as a professional Christian musician, started a <laughs> a, a, a band. Uh, and wrote some songs that I think mm. people have sung. But at some point you made the decision that you were going to be uh, a senior pastor. And when you made that decision, you basically signed up for spending hundreds of hours every year in a single book, you know, a mm-hmm. single library of books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyhow, tell us, tell us a little bit about your Bible journey. And, you know, start. you didn't wake up one morning and just <laughs> fall in love with the Bible. No, I I owe my love of the Bible to my parents, and I'm very grateful to have parents who uh, love the Word of God deeply, um, memorize it, pray it, read it. And so my earliest memories as a kid, and I grew up in Malaysia, I'm a first-generation immigrant, became a citizen in the U.S., you know, I think 11 or 12 years ago. Um, But growing up in Malaysia, you know, Christianity is not the majority religion there. It's 10% of the people or so. and and, uh, you know, uh, my parents were deeply shaped by by other um, people who mentored them. They grew up kind of in an Anglican tradition, which was uh, good in so many ways. But when they came to sort of a born again faith, they were invited into a Bible study from a Baptist pastor and they would go to this midweek Bible study. And that's when they began to fall in love with the Bible. And uh, I think by extension, it's when I began to fall in love with the Bible as well. So my mom, I remember many, um, many days, my mom um, reading to us, my dad uh, praying out the scriptures. And then when I was 10 years old, my parents um, felt like the Lord was calling them to leave Malaysia and go to Bible college in the U.S. So I was 10, my sister was 13. And that's a pretty, you know, kind of landmark event. We moved from Malaysia all the way over to America so that my parents could study the Bible more. You know, uh, they mm. gave up their careers. My dad was in an ad agency. My mom was a part-time English teacher. And they gave up their careers to study the Bible. So I, I remember dinner conversations since both of them were in classes. We just listened to, okay, what did you learn today about the minor prophets and about the Old Testament? <laughs> and, you know, the corners of the Bible that you don't normally uh, talk about. 
And then when we moved back to Malaysia during my high school years, I, um, I homeschooled with kind of an extension of an American uh, education system. Uh, it was a complicated story, but I couldn't quite get back in the Malaysian public schools, mostly because it's taught not in English, but in Malay. And, and so I would, I would try to get my work done. And my parents then took over a Bible college in Malaysia that the church that we were from had started. So I would go to the, the little library that the church had and I'd get my homeschooling work done. And then I'd sneak in the back of these classes, particularly the classes my mom taught. My mom taught these Old Testament survey courses, if you will. And, and they were called, uh, I think one was called the Divided Kingdom. And it's basically Old Testament history post the time of Solomon. I mean, I don't know how many 13-year-olds knew that there was a divided kingdom, and a, you know, you know, but, but I, I memorized timelines and I, I could situate the prophets and the kings, whether, were they in Judah or were they in Israel? And, uh, and, and those were my high school years. So I, I, um, when I was, if I was ever a sick in bed, you know, C.S. Lewis says his favorite moments were convalescing from some illness with the book in his hand. For me, it was listening to cassette tapes of these Bible teachers, their Bible college uh, professors. Uh, teaching on the books of the Bible. So had this love affair with the scriptures from an early, early age. Wow, that's generational faithfulness right there, right? <laughs> Carrying mm-hmm. it on the faith and catching it from your parents and God's spirit working that way. Those are great stories. So thank you mm-hmm. for that. We, of course, have been in a series now talking about the Bible as story. So mm-hmm. we've already talked about why story matters in the first place. What is it with humans and stories? Uh, we talked about the six act kind of overview is one way of telling the story of the Bible. There are different ways to slice it, of course, and that's the one we presented. We talked about reading the Bible with Jesus at the center and how that conditions and shapes all of our reading of the scriptures. But we wanted to have you on today, Glenn, to talk about what does it actually mean to live the story in real life? But before we jump into that, um, I know before I've heard you speak about there are other ways of seeing the Bible other than as a story, and that many people are kind of brought up and and taught the Bible with a kind of a metaphor that isn't story, that there's some other kind of vision for what the Bible is, which I think changes what we think we're supposed to do with the Bible. Can you talk to us a little bit about, in your own experience, how you've seen people think about the Bible? what they think the Bible is, and the kind of this common vision for describing the Bible other than story. Yeah, it's so good, Glenn, because what you've said is that what we think the Bible is, the kind of book we think the Bible is, determines how we approach it. And, and many Christians don't recognize, they don't name these as their default assumptions about what kind of book the Bible is. Mm. But by the, way they are, by, by the way they are approaching it, you can sort of work your way backwards and say, well, I think you think Right. That the Bible is a, you know, and so I, you know, there, there's three or four or five uh, things that, that uh, I, I'll often say. A lot of times people, their default assumption is that the Bible is a textbook. And so you, uh, you approach the Bible for information and you kind of, you kind of mm. think that the Bible should have an index and maybe you use a Strong's Concordance that way. And so look up all the verses on peace or look up all the verses on, uh, you, you know, justification or whatever and, and try to get information that way. Now, I'm all for systematic, even thematic uh, readings of the Bible, but it can skew a little bit when you don't recognize that the Bible doesn't arrive to us like a textbook. Uh, it, it isn't organized like a textbook. And in fact, just because it uses the same word, even the same Hebrew word or same Greek word, uh, doesn't mean that the authors are referring to the same sort of range of meanings of that word. Mm, um, yes. I mean, words have sem- a semantic range to, to, to say it technically, you know, like, 
Uh, even for us, the word like deep can mean profound or it can mean literal depth. If I say the swimming pool, that's the deep end of the pool. We don't want someone assuming, I mean, that's the profound part of the pool where all the <laughs> philosophers swim, you know? And, and, and so, so this is the problem with kind of approaching the Bible like a textbook as if words are used in identical ways. But a second kind of flaw here is to approach the Bible like kind of a cookbook. And, and what I mean by this is that it has kind of formulas and, and, and recipes and that if you, uh, you just follow, you can unlock the seven keys for a successful ma- marriage. I'll never forget as a dad, as a parent, my wife and I talking to our, our kids, our older two girls who are teenagers now, but even when they were younger, we were reading them these Bible stories and one of them said, mom uh, or dad, you know, you know, who had a good marriage in the Bible? <laughs> And we were like, yeah, that's a really good question, yeah. you know? Who was that again? Who, who was that? <laughs> and in, in our age of sort of Pinterest recipes where you look at some sort of appealing dish and then find the formula for it, the Bible doesn't work that way. It doesn't hold up an idealized version of a family or, or a parent, a set, you know, marriage, and then say, now these are the six keys or seven steps or whatever. So textbook, cookbook, third thing is, is coffee table book. I mean, this is... Uh, you know, this is our Instagram and, and a world of, I need the right quotes. And, you know, Glenn, I've heard you teach on this several times, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, or different verses that we sort of pull out. Not to say that there's no encouraging lines in the Bible. There, there are sure, lots right. of, lots of quotable, <laughs> yeah. memeable, you know, memeable parts of the Bible. Um, but the, if you expect the Bible to read like a coffee table book, you're not going to persevere in your Bible reading very long. Right. You know? It's a long uh, stretch sometimes between those really <laughs> dynamites that, right? I mean, yeah, right, they're not every other, every other sentence. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, that's it. That's it. There's long, long stretches. And then, and then fourthly, maybe a, a sort of magic book where, and this is, you know, I come from the charismatic tradition. I think our tribe is especially prone to this, that if we could just find the magic prayer and then tack on an in the name of Jesus at the end of it, you know, mm. we can, voila, they can, they can be healing, they can be a miracle, there can be breakthrough. And goodness, it just doesn't work like that, whether it's Jabez or anyone else. That's just not how the prayers in the Bible are supposed to work. Um, and, and, then, and then finally, you know, the rule book idea. And, and maybe... Uh, my friends in the Baptist world or, or, or different denominations might might uh, resonate with this a little bit more, where uh, your perception of the Bible, or at least the way it was presented growing up, is this is full of instructions. There was even a popular mm. Christian song in the late 90s using the acronym of B-I-B-L-E as basic instructions before leaving earth, you know? Right, uh, right. I mean, all kinds of problems with that one. <laughs> yeah, not yeah least, several levels. <laughs> yeah, not least of which is leaving earth, um, right. <laughs> which is not how the Bible itself ends. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, it, 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 it's not a rule book. Of course, the Bible, it contains instructions for living, and I'm sure we'll get into that today as we talk about improv, but it isn't um, at its core a book of instruction. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think sometimes people hear this message and they think, oh, you're saying the Bible isn't any of those things. And actually, we're saying um, it does actually have great words of inspiration and it does have instruction and it has a lot of these things. It's just that they're all taken up to play parts in a bigger thing, which we call story. And that's how they find their full meaning, I think. But what are the implications before we get into the good stuff of story, which we're going to today? Um, what are the implications? I mean, what's the fallout if people have a diminished view of what the Bible is? 
Well, I think you you could kind of, you know, one of the implications is of the fallout is you start proof texting things. You start finding a verse here or a verse there and, uh, uh, and, and you think it means something that it doesn't necessarily mean. But also, I mean, honestly, even we alluded to this already, it just, it just creates kind of a disinterest in the Bible because mm. once, you, once you start reading those long stretches of First Kings or Second Kings or whatever, you know, the long prophetic books and you think, goodness, there's no rules here for life. There's no formulas here for uh, right. making, making my, my business work or whatever. And so then we just run to the Proverbs, which are wonderful. The Proverbs are great, but even the Proverbs themselves uh, don't read that way. And so we kind of distort the, 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 our approach to the Bible, uh, but then also we kind of discourage people from actually reading the Bible immersively, as you guys are yeah. trying to do. Yeah, good. And I think I'm reminded of that book that Philip Yancey wrote called Disappointment with God. I think mm. these um, views of the Bible that aren't accurate to what it really is lead to disappointment with the Bible. I yeah, think people yeah. kind of have this idea, like it's so amazing. It's so wonderful. And it either inspires or instructs or gives me the formula or whatever my vision is of the Bible. When it doesn't consistently do that, then they end up saying, actually, this isn't that great. Like I'm not getting this from it. So therefore they, they pull back or, or yeah. they just end up looking for those few places that fit their model. And yeah. then and try to live their entire spiritual life based on these isolated parts of the Bible. And I think it just leads to real disappointment, which I think is part of the reason why Bible reading and immersion has dropped off. So, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe even more <clears throat> serious than uh, disappointment is disillusionment, mm. which is another mm. another level down. And, you know, Glenn, you talked about the. Uh, Bible being viewed as a rule book, I've often described that as the believe and behave model. Yeah. You believe yeah, it, yeah. and then yeah. you behave it, and then God keeps sending you the cookies. <laughs> and um, <laughs> when, you've, when you've grown up with that, and that's your frame of reference, you pretty, pretty soon become disillusioned that you've done yeah. that. You believed it, you behaved it, and uh, somehow... You know the the cookies didn't keep coming, and yeah, uh, I, yeah. I saw an example of that actually last night in our our group at church. We read a whole book of the Bible, and then we get together <clears throat> and talk. And there was a gal there who had an experience when she was in grade school. She heard mm. for the first time uh, the story of Jonah, mm. and even as a as a kid, she immediately began questioning. You know, uh, you know digestive juices you know what does that do could this be <laughs> could this be a, a real story and so she asked her older sister about it and her older sister told her that she was going to hell for asking oh my you know, for, for asking asking the questions but you know if, wow. if you come to the book of jonah and the whole idea is you know you just need to behave god tells yeah. you to go to Nineveh yeah. or whatever else god tells you to do just do that and then all will be well from there Jonah is not a book about that. Yeah, and, yeah. So, and yeah. It's it's. They're, no, they're you're right. And, you, you're right, and that that disillusionment, I think, is even what we are seeing in kind of the post-evangelical, maybe deconversion um, mm. um, rise, where where people were taught to treat the Bible as some sort of inspired rule book or inspired cookbook, you know, formulas or whatever, and and they're kind of saying either a it doesn't work, like you've like you've alluded to. Or B, uh, the, these are contradictory, or it, it's giving a, a sort of crazy picture. So, so you kind of get the cheap 
um, proof texting in the reverse way by the new atheists, you know, so, mm-hmm. so the Dawkins, yeah. the Dawkins stuff of, oh, look at this, what God said in the Old Testament and look at this or that. And, and instead of reading it as this long drama, which we, for which we don't have the patience anymore, uh, we're, we're trying to find little tidbits, little insights on God. And then we realize, actually, I don't like that God that this verse reveals or that verse reveals. Right, so right. It, it's a real problem. It, it's not just a disillusionment with the Bible, but, but a dis- disillusionment and a deconversion from uh, the God that the Bible is supposed to bear witness to. Yeah, I'm reminded, I forget exactly who it was who where I first read this. Somebody said, you know, the Bible, let's be honest, is a strange book in many ways, for especially people who are so far in time and distance and culture from the time of the Bible. In many ways, the Bible is strange to our ears because of the world that it's embedded in. I think one of the reasons why people grab onto these other visions for the Bible is they're looking for a way to make a strange book practical and real in their life today. And so if we're going to offer another model for the Bible, one based on narrative, thinking that the Bible is God's great story of the world and what's gone wrong and what he's doing about it, then we also have to offer people, I think, a vision for how does story as a vision for the Bible lead to practical understanding? And what do I do with the Bible as a story? So it's, it's nice to have the theory, right, of the Bible is a narrative and we yeah. can read it. But what does it have to do with me here today? And so as we move to the second part of this podcast, uh, we want to talk about this idea of improvisation. So it's tied to the idea of Bible as story. And of course, the great at least for me, the place I first read about this was in N.T. Wright's book, The New Testament and the People of God. And he doesn't take a long time. It's a brief little section, but I think it's loaded with potential for how the church reads the Bible. And that is, he says, think of the Bible as an unfinished drama. And we live in that space where it's not finished. And so he offers this analogy of a Shakespearean play that's found. It's been lost, never known before. So we discover this new play of Shakespeare, but it's missing the final act. So what are you going to do with such a thing? And he said, well, what if you got together a group of Shakespearean actors who have been doing Shakespeare their whole career? They know how Shakespeare thinks. They're they're immersed, if you will, or embedded in Shakespeare. You let them perform the first four acts. You're missing the fifth act. And let them, I'm going to forget this when I first read this phrase. Let them work out the fifth act for themselves. So this idea of, look, you can go on repeating the lines from the first four acts forever, but that doesn't finish the play. That doesn't, that doesn't do the right thing with this play. You can't just repeat those lines forever. You, right. have to, you have to create the fifth act, and it has to be appropriate to what's gone before, but it's also creative. So this idea of an unfinished drama Kind of love to get your reaction to that. Do you think it works? And and does it is it you know at the end we want to talk about does this actually help people think about what to do with the Bible? Yeah, I I, I love it so much, uh, Glenn. I, I mean, like you, I'm a big fan of Wright's work, and and I think that's a powerful metaphor. And and what's important to recognize is the Shakespearean actors. The reason we call them and not just sort of you know any actors or, or why not mm. call some some professional improv actors. The idea yeah. is that Shakespearean actors have had Shakespeare in them. They, they've been, they've had 
And, and, and so for us, we read the Bible so that the Bible can enter us, so that the story can enter us. And and we we become familiar with its instincts and impulses and terrains, and, and, and it shapes us. So the story has entered us so that by the time we enter the story, which is now, uh, we, we our instincts have been reshaped. I, I think of this sometimes when it comes to prayer. You know, people, we, we used to say to people uh, who become Christians, say, well, just pray whatever's in your heart. Well, that's actually terrible advice for a, a baby Christian because, well, on the one hand, it's great, the vulnerability, the honesty, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, our our instincts as a new Christian are selfish and 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 self serving and all of that. So mm. we need someone to teach us the language. The way we teach language to babies and toddlers is say after me, ball, milk, mama, dada, whatever you know. And they they say back to them words that have been said to them, and then they learn how to speak. It, it's a similar thing that's happening with the Bible. We're saying back to God the words He has said to us. The story is entering us, shaping our instincts and sensibilities, and then we, when we enter it, we can uh, we, we can kind of take it along. As a musician, I also like the analogy of a symphony, and I, I've read this mm, in a couple places. Yeah. And yes. uh, a- Andrew Wilson and Alistair Roberts in their book uh, Echoes of Exodus uh, describe this as well. Where maybe the, the 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 slight weakness of the drama thing is it implies too much of a linearity to the Bible, where sometimes there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of zigging and zagging in the, especially in the Old Testament, you know. Right, right. And, and uh, it's not a clean march toward the inevitable Messiah, you know. And and, and Wright yeah. himself makes makes that point. He, it's only in hindsight that you can kind of read the story right. uh, as a drama. But but I think the symphony is a helpful metaphor because symphonies have movements and they have themes and variations. So you can kind of hear a motif, and you're like, oh, here's that motif, but now transposed or. Here's a motif, but now lifted with a with a major key, uh, and and I think I think very much that reading the scripture is like that. There are times when you'll hear uh, the Darth Vader theme, if you will, or you'll hear the <laughs> Jedi you'll hear the Jedi theme, if you will, come in, and you're like, wait a second, I know that sound. I know that sound. The Force is <laughs> awakening here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's that's really helpful, and I think. Um, one of the things that people struggle with, with the story idea, and I've heard this directly from people when I've presented on this, is they're like, well, if if I obey the, what the Bible does, I can clearly see how the Bible has authority, right? It has God's authority to tell me what to do, or it has authority to give me encouragement or to give me a set of beliefs. I have to know what to believe about God in the world. So I get beliefs that I have to actually hold on to. And I can understand authority. And they say, how exactly does something like a story have something like authority? Those are not mm. words that normally go together. So how mm. does the Bible actually, does it, are we dropping authority when we talk about the Bible as story? No, absolutely not. Um, but but to, to move to the, your image that you've hinted at already for today about improv, uh, sometimes I'll tell young people, there's no script, but there is a scripture. And, and of course that, mm. you know, that, that there's a little corny, a little bit of a dad humor there. Um, <laughs> but, but, but the, the idea is, uh, of course there are some clear imperatives, particularly in the new Testament that get sure. reaffirmed, that get reaffirmed for the people of God. But e- even so, um, the authority comes not only from those imperatives, but the authority comes when we recognize the God that the scriptures is bearing, are bearing witness to, the God who is saying, I am the author and perfecter of your faith, and this is where I'm taking the story. So it, it, it's like improv, but 
having the uh, the creative genius, you know, improving with Aaron Sorkin. You know, a lot of us are probably fans of Sorkin's writing mm. the West Wing show and Sports Night and all. It's like improv with with a Sorkin drama, but Sorkin's an actor on the stage with you. And, yeah. and so so you're sort of following his lead here to say, is this this is where you want to take the story? Right. Um, so God has not left us. And I think that's the whole point of Jesus saying, I'm not leaving you as orphans. The, the, the father will send the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that inspired and spoke through the prophets, the same spirit mm. that uh, has anointed uh, me. This is the spirit that is now going to lead the people of, of Jesus um, to continue the mission of Jesus in the mode of Jesus. Um, mm, and, yeah. and, the, and so the authority comes from the triune God uh, in, right, in, shor- right. in short, you know. So it's not the, I guess I, I like think of the word minimalistic, not that we don't obey the appropriate imperatives of scripture. We do. So mm-hmm. there's real authority there. But there's, like you say, it's a bigger, deeper, richer kind of authority mm-hmm. um, versus just this, you know, almost mechanical or robotic yes. authority. If yeah. we just believe what it says and do what it says. You know, you don't have to be a, a rich, made-in-the-image uh, human being to do that sort of thing. Like, anybody could do yeah. that, almost. Right. Oh, yeah. So. yeah, no, no you're, you're exactly right. And ro- robot is the right thing. I mean, it, we could sort of dump scripture into some kind of uh, artificial intelligence and then just say, okay, obey yeah. all of these commands and, and yeah. learn learn these commands. But that's, that's not the idea. Also, not least because there's lots of situations that we face that the Bible does not directly address. There's there's always nuance and new complexities and new contexts. Um, does that mean the Bible is irrelevant in so much as it's silent about those specific complexities? It doesn't have anything to say about uh, you know a pandemic or uh, or or online church or about you know all of those kinds of things. No, it takes a creative imagination under the authority of mm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through the revealed Word of God for us to, in cooperation with the Spirit. Um, and in the mode of Jesus, in the shape of Jesus, walk out this story uh, with the people of God today. Wow, that is so good. There's community there. There's community with God. I mean, there's just so many yes. rich, richer elements than just individualistic, robotic, or mechanical kind of ways of approaching the Bible. Um, you just use the word imagination, and I'm reminded of the phrase that I think I read in Kevin Van Hooser, where he mm-hmm. said, what we need mm-hmm. is creative fidelity. So this combination of creativity and imagination, but also fidelity. You're not just making up yes. anything you want. Like just it's just a complete free for all. It's fidelity to the story, but it's also creative because we're in a new moment, which I know the word fittingness comes in here. Mm. And um I've also heard the word apt, right? So mm. our our improvisation has to fit with yes. appropriately the trajectory of the story that's gone before. And what I especially love about that, and I think um, I think of you as a musician, it brings the Christian life and Bible reading back into the realm of the arts. Yes. Um, rather than simply, a, a say, a military style obedience or some other model um, following a recipe, you know, these other models. Yes. But bringing the Christian life and saying, look, your whole life in biblical obedience is a work of art yes of giving beauty back to beauty's giver and and it, it i think it's just a much more exciting vision perhaps of the christian absolutely. life absolutely yeah a- absolutely i mean you're right away i'm thinking of ephesians 2 we are god's workmanship god's poema god's work of mm. art created to do good works so uh not only are we god's uh, work of art but our good works by the spirit's power in jesus 
are themselves works of art. When I was in college, I, I was uh, for a semester or two was in a jazz band, and I was I was terrified of playing in a jazz band. I had grown up my my um, introduction of learning music was a very uh, British model of of piano playing where you had exam pieces and and they actually flew in examiners from London uh, to Malaysia to come and and listen to you play these pieces flawlessly and it was very very structured and so in college I took the opposite approach and joined this jazz band and I our <laughs> first um our first day I think it was it was a quartet it was me on the keys and there was a bass player a saxophonist and a drummer and the and the teacher and the teacher was the bass player and he said we're going to turn off the lights and he goes key of whatever it was you know key of f uh, 12 bar blues. Here we go. And it, when we were off to the races, <laughs> now there's several, there's several things that maybe for a person who's not been in that setting, there's something to, to note. Number one, we're using the sort of Western based 12 tone scale here. Number mm -hmm. two, not, not only that, but we had a key signature that we we're working within. And not only that, we had a genre of this sort of 12 bar blues uh, that, that is a familiar genre for imp improvisation. But beyond that, there's lots of notes and lots of freedom and lots of, hey, should I take these four bars? Then you take these four bars and back and forth. And that's where I think there is fidelity to the way of God and the word of God. Absolutely. We're mm. not trying to, we, we do not want to trivialize or minimize the fact that this is the word of God and it's a closed canon. Our, yeah, yeah. In, in, in saying that we continue the play, we are in no way saying that our words or our actions continue the, the canon of scripture. Absolutely not. The, the the creed says he has spoken through the prophet, so it, it, it's yeah. it's 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 finished. It's it, that is the the authority, and yet we are invited into the story, invited to improv along with the song with the master musician, and and we do so uh, in a trinitarian way and in a communal way with the people of God, and it's probably worth saying that 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 communal way involves the the historic witness of the church, and I think mm -hmm. this is. This has become such an important thing, uh, particularly for Christians in the West who want to move beyond the bounds of Scripture and say, well, you know, uh, on this sort of issue or this sort of issue, we can kind of, you know, deviate. And I think not only is the, the witness of the global church important, but the witness of the historic church is important mm -hmm. because creed and, creed and canon were developed in the same council, the Council of Nicaea. And 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 it is it is kind of like bumper lanes when you're bowling. You know, it keeps you can have fun, more fun with kids. You can have more fun with kids bowling when those bumper lanes are up because nobody's going to end up in the gutter. And, right. and, and I think I think that's the idea. You cannot read the Bible in a way that violates the confessional truth of the historic church as articulated in the creeds and so forth. Yeah, I think sometimes people think of story as so loosey goosey that there are no boundaries, right? And if you're especially bringing in a word like improvisation. Because maybe they don't really know how musical improvisation or comedic yeah, improvisation yeah. actually work. That there are there are ways in both music and comedy, for instance, to say, you know, that improvisation isn't working because you're not working within the right boundaries yes. of what we're doing here. Um, the create it's more than creativity. There there's a, a time and a place you can say that is not a fitting right improvisation of the gospel. So the, mm -hmm. there are there are there are real guidelines that, yes. that guide the, the creativity that we bring. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, guys, this uh, this idea of improvisation, uh, I think, is probably fascinating to a lot of people that are listening and uh, 
we could listen to the two Glens go on and on about this. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it is an important conversation and you can't be loosey goosey with it. Uh, I think, you know, improv comedy is probably not as good a metaphor as the Shakespearean, you know, metaphor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the Shakespearean metaphor, you know, as N.T. Wright plays it out, you have to know the Shakespearean mind. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't, it's not good enough to just know to be or not to be. That's the question. And a few other <laughs> handful of Shakespearean quotes. And you have to know that Shakespeare wrote drama. He wrote comedy. You know, you have to mm-hmm. be immersed in Shakespeare, yeah. which is again, yeah. what we're saying. There's no shortcuts to, uh, to this thing of really immersing ourselves in the story. If we're going to live it well, Glenn. Um, so we've been, you know, we've been up in the clouds here a little bit, you know, um, <laughs> talking about N.T. Wright and, you know, uh, you know, different councils and so forth. But you're a pastor and, yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, you have people that come to you, uh, you know, with desperate situations. You have yeah. to stand before a congregation every week and preach. So tell us a little bit about how this concept, this new understanding, if you will, which is really an old yeah, understanding yeah, of living yeah. out the story. How, do, how has that influenced your preaching? Yeah, that's that's good, Paul. I appreciate that uh, question. I, I, I think I think every time I'm preaching, and and we we do the kind of preaching that is uh, through books of the Bible as opposed through topic, as opposed to preaching topically. Not nothing against that, but that's our our mode. So in fact, currently we are. Uh, preaching through the minor prophets, and we're doing one minor prophet a week. Um, last fall, we preached uh, ambitiously through the Book of Revelation. It upset a lot of people because it made them rethink their uh, mm. uh, their, their views, which is good. Um, but but I, I find that you have to do a couple of things as a preacher. One, you have to locate the text in the context of the wider story of the narrative of Scripture. And so when I'm talking about this week, you know, uh, uh, Zephaniah, I want to say, okay, so is he talking to Judah or Israel? And why does that matter? And is this before Babylon or is this about Assyria? Where does this fall? Which king? Uh, And as it turns out, Zephaniah is talking right after the king Manasseh, who is incredibly wicked and right before uh, Josiah's reform. So, So I'm helping them situate this in, in the historical context. And side note, I used to be wary of that. I used to think, oh, man, people can't handle that and it's too complicated. There's no doubt there are ways of doing that that are tedious and that feel classroomy. But I just I just want to remind the listener that we are living in the era of complex fantasy universes like the Marvel universe, like (laughs) the Star Wars universe. My teenage daughters just finished watching the finale today of WandaVision, and they're explaining to me with intricate detail where Wanda fits in the galaxy of this whole Marvel universe. And I'm lost, you know. And so I'll I'll frequently say to the church, I know y'all can handle this because you know where this fits. So so don't don't insult our people here. But but the job is on us to provoke imagination to say, okay, imagine that this is what's going on and this, you know, so situate the, the, the text. The, the second thing that, that I think um, I'm always working uh, to do with them is to uh, provoke their imagination to say, who, who are we in this story? Where are we here in this? Are we Zephaniah? Probably not. Are we the people Zephaniah is rebuking? Yeah, more likely. Like, oh, okay, so they were mixing Baal worship with Yahweh worship. We don't do it that overtly, but in what ways do we serve uh, the American dream and the way of Christ? You know, so, so I'm provoking imagination without filling in all the blanks for them, you know. Mm. Um, uh, 
and I honestly, guys, I mean, just to be even more concrete here, several uh, weeks ago, after the incident on January 6th at the Capitol, uh, was the first week of our series on the prophets. And I was preaching on Hosea and idolatry and spiritual adultery. And I, I, I asked people to reflect on where is the line that we cross between loving a nation and uh, giving allegiance to uh, an empire? You, you know, where is the line that we cross from um, a fidelity that belongs to God that is now given to something else? Now, I, I didn't spell it out. I'm not saying phrases like, you know, Christian nationalism or whatever, because people, everybody bristles at those kinds of uh, phrases. But if you can gently, subversively provoke imagination to say, gosh, I don't, I don't know that the people that Hosea was talking to thought they were doing something all that evil. Uh, mm. And yet, how, how easy is it for us to fall into a kind of spiritual adultery? So that's what you want. You, you, you want to situate them in the wider story. You want to provoke their imagination. And then I say the third thing I want to do as a preacher is to, to point to the, the Trinity. Um, you know, some, some reformed preachers say, you, you know, don't, don't just say, uh, that don't just say, you know, go and do this because go and do likewise because the gospel says Christ has done it all for you. I don't think that's quite right. I think I want to say, I want every sermon to point to the originating work of the Father. I want a sermon to point to the, uh, the finished work of Christ. And I want a sermon to point to the ongoing work of the Spirit. I think those are, those are ways to make the sermon Trinitarian in its, in its shape. And so the end of the sermon is not going to end with, okay, now you've got these concepts, go do it. The end of the sermon is, would you come and, and enter into the invitation that Christ has offered us here uh, at the table of the Lord? We confess our sin. We welcome the Spirit. We, we recognize the, the, the love of the Father, the finished work of Christ, the ongoing work of the Spirit. So that's a lot, um, but, but that is all in my mind as I'm preparing a sermon. So uh, what is, this? is it fair to say that the bottom line is, that this model story leading to improvisation, that it it works like it actually works in real lo- people's lives, right? I mean, they, there's something that that we could grab a hold of here, and it could become kind of our our regular model for thinking about the Bible and our our world today and what we do with it. Absolutely, Glenn. I, I, absolutely, it does. It, in in fact, it has it has the capacity to. Um, make us patient with the long story of the Bible. It has the capacity to mm. make make us creative again, to imagine God at work. And, and, but again, you've said this before, at the center of the vision needs to be Jesus, that Jesus is uh, the, the definitive image of God at work in his world. And so if the people of God want to know what it looks like, uh, yes, we read the Bible, but we read the Bible through the mind of Christ or through the life of Christ. Uh, so that we can, uh, as you said, Paul, think like Jesus. Have the and this is what Paul was after to have the mind of Christ in us to think uh, like Jesus as we think through new complexities and new situations. Uh, so if we arrive at a reading of the Bible that uh, results in actions that don't look like Jesus, uh, it's time to start over. Mm, good, that's good. I could probably sit here and listen to you guys for like six hours if you, <laughs> you know wanted to keep going, but. Uh, but we're going to have to wrap this one up. Um, Glenn, thanks so much for joining us. This has been great. Uh, just appreciate hearing your, your pastoral heart, but also, you know, your deep theological well. Uh, it's, it's been a treat. Um, I'd encourage all of our listeners to go pick up a copy of Glenn's, uh, any of Glenn's books, of course. Uh, most recently, Worship in the World to Come or Bless Broken Given. 
Um, you can also find him on Twitter. You can get uh, theological commentary, musical commentary, Denver Broncos commentary. <laughs> all, you know, all in one spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so, Glenn, thank you again for joining us. Uh, and thanks all, all of our listeners for tuning in. And, uh, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.